It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Shannon Bream. I'm Tom Shalhoub. I'm Maria Bartiromo, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, July 18th, 2023. I'm Dave Anthony. Can Republicans win the White House and take over the Senate? West Virginia Governor Jim Justice hopes so, and he's running to unseat Democrat Joe Manchin. And if we don't watch out and we spend another six or eight years in this spin cycle that we're in right now, we could awaken the fact we don't have a country. We speak with West Virginia Governor Jim Justice. I'm Alex Hogan. A look inside the Gilgo Beach murders and the suspect now in custody. I think... This is an instance where this defendant lived a double life, uh, and there was a side of himself that he showed to the public, and then there was this other side which he desperately tried to keep hidden. And I'm Jason Chaffetz. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. The 2024 race is picking up speed. I know the people now better than anybody's ever known the people. I know the good ones, the bad ones, the dumb ones, the smart ones. Former President Trump making his case to return to the White House, telling Fox Sunday Morning Futures he may skip next month's Republican debate with challengers far behind in the polls. It's actually not fair. Why would you let somebody that's at zero or at one or two or three you know, be popping you with questions. But 2024 isn't just about who's our next president. Republicans are trying to also keep the House and take over the Senate. They only need to flip two seats, and one of them could be Joe Manchin's in West Virginia. I will make a decision later on where I can help the country the best I possibly can in my state. I'm looking for that moderate middle. I tell people, I don't know where I belong. The Democrat tells Fox Business he may not run for re-election. If he does, Manchin may face a strong challenge from a Republican governor. We're on the verge of losing our country, and it just so happens that my number has been called. West Virginia Governor Jim Justice is running for the GOP Senate nomination. I know that I am the only person in West Virginia that can absolutely win this seat, no matter if Manchin runs, doesn't run, whatever it may be. And if your number's called to step up to try to do something that could very well save our country from this onslaught of craziness that's going on, and we could take back control of the Senate, and you say, no, it's really not for me, you know, then I don't think you're much. And so that's it. I mean, that's it in its entirety. I don't want anything. I don't need the next perk. I don't, don't want anything. Except I do want one thing, and that is goodness for our country and goodness for West Virginia, goodness for all of us. And the way we're going on this path, it surely looks like the 2026, there's no hope, maybe 2028, no hope. And if we don't watch out and we spend another six or eight years in this spin cycle that we're in right now, we could awaken the fact we don't have a country. Has Senator Joe Manchin done a bad job? He's considered a conservative Democrat. Some Republicans praised him because he was able to trim the size of what the spending bill that the Democrats and President Biden were able to get through in the first uh, part of the Biden administration. Has he done poorly? 
I know Joe like the back of my hand. And when it's come down to crunch time, you know, Joe has migrated back to the Democratic Party over and over and over. Reliability has surely been an issue from the standpoint of Republicans. And this, I don't know how to be more just honest. You know, uh, I think Senator Manchin has been in the spotlight. And Joe loves that. Senator Manchin was in the spotlight Monday in New Hampshire. Joe is considering trying to replace another Joe. He might make a run against President Biden as an independent. And he gathered with a no-labels organization pushing for a common-sense unity candidate. I haven't made a decision on what I'm going to do in 2024. And this is not about me or anybody else. It's about two parties that have gone to their respective side, the extreme right and extreme left. And the middle has been left behind, and there's no voice for the middle. Governor Justice thinks Senator Manchin knows he could lose if he runs for re-election in West Virginia. I think, you know, Joe looks at the polls. From my standpoint, you know, where I am with Alex Mooney today, you know, I should win going away. And the Republican congressman is your challenger in the GOP primary, correct? That's right. You know, if what happens is we have Mooney just beating up on me and everything, and you get closer to the time, you know, as to where Manchin's got to either continue on the path of running on the no labels or flip back and run for the Senate, and Mooney's bloodied me up some, Joe may have newfound religion and say, look, I think I can beat Jim now, or I've got a chance to beat Jim, so I'm going to run for the Senate. If that doesn't happen, there's a high likelihood that Joe Manchin will not run against me. Now, from the standpoint of what Joe wants to do, I think Joe really believes that he's got a shot as running as an independent. And what a way to retire. I mean, what a way to go out. I ran for president. You know, it's a great fantasy run. Then the next thing I can do is I can go on a speaking tour. I can go on a book tour. I can go on a CNN analyst campaign, whatever it may be. I'm in high demand. You know, that's exactly what's happening. I mean, that is exactly what's going to happen. A lot of polls have shown that many voters in both parties do not want former President Trump versus President Biden in a rematch in 2024, which I suppose that makes it appealing for the no labels or Senator Manchin on that side. Do you believe that? Do you think that Americans want a third party or no? I don't think it could ever become reality. Surely to goodness, Americans understand you know, loud and clear, the leadership, whether you liked him or didn't like him, that came from President Trump and the successes that happened, you know, when he was our president versus what we have today. I mean, what we have today is just, I mean, uh, you know what it is, Dave. I mean, for God's sakes of living, I mean, you know, if President Biden were my father, I would not allow him. There was no way that I could allow him to embarrass himself and continue on in this job. There's no way. I mean, President Biden is really challenged and it's sad. And, you know, others are pulling the strings in every way. But anything we touch almost is becoming toxic, whether it be Afghanistan, the border, all the different things, energy, on and on and on, inflation, just one thing right after another, whether it be crime or woke in schools. or I mean, it is everything we touch turns to do 
And then there's people that don't like President Trump's personality. Well, there's people that don't like my personality. But with all that being said, I think that President Trump will be the nominee, and I think he'll be our next president, and I'm very hopeful of that. Why has West Virginia shifted politically? When I lived and worked there in the 1990s, there were the two senators were Democrats. You had a Democratic governor. President Clinton was reelected, and he got 52% of the vote in West Virginia. In 2020, President Trump got 69% of the vote. You're a Republican. You switch back over in 2017 to be a Republican, and you're running for Senate trying to unseat a Democrat. What's changed so much? West Virginians have always been kind of middle-of-the-road thinking people, you know. I mean, you know, conservative Democrats. And surely conservative Republicans, you know, hardworking people, common sense people, you know, West Virginians haven't changed. They just absolutely, their way of life was taken away from them to some degree with Barack Obama. You know, Hillary Clinton surely didn't add to that cause. And now they're threatened again, you know, by Joe Biden. Now, West Virginia is a different place today, you know, from the standpoint of, West Virginia is a diversified economy. We still absolutely cherish our natural resources. I think, frankly, that anyone that believes that we can do without fossil fuels in this world today, in 2023, is absolutely living in a dream world. But the coal business certainly has been a long legacy for West Virginia. You yourself are in the coal industry there. With the shift toward the different renewables, with the focus on climate change, especially from the Biden administration, what is the future of coal? How can it exist if our policies keep changing? Well, here's the thing. You know, for the most part, people that are, uh, our coal interest has primarily always been metallurgical coal. That coal goes to make steel. You know, it's not thermal coal that's burned for electricity. You know, my dad used to say all the time, you know, that, uh, you know, isn't it a crying pitiful shame to burn a quality ton of coal to make, just burn it up to make electricity? I mean, it can do so many other things and primarily the steel making process. But uh, the future of coal, I think, is maybe not maybe not what it was years ago, but, but it has to be in the mix from a base load, from a standpoint it has to be in the mix today or we're going to blow our legs off. Governor, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you might get beaten up some by your rival who's running, Congressman Alex Mooney, who's a conservative, a Republican. He's called you a rhino who will bankrupt America. I'm not into beating up, you know, people and everything, but I would just tell you this. If you just go and look at my record and what I've done in, in the state of West Virginia, you know, I just passed the largest tax cut in the history of the state. I mean, for crying out loud, I stood rock solid for life against abortion. We passed, you know, a lot of abortion bill there that was absolutely terrific. You know, we have diversified our economy. I've kept almost a flat budget the entire time that I've been the governor. We have surpluses beyond belief. I don't know what in the world that a human being could do to be more Republican, more conservative than what I've done. And the record surely, surely, you know, just shows exactly that. There's no question whatsoever. You know, an Alex Mooney can say anything he wants and everything, but the reality is Alex Mooney moved from state to state to try to find some place to elect him. And I have seen him, I think, 
one time since I've been governor of the state of West Virginia for seven years, and the people of this state don't even know who Alex Mooney is. They know where I stand, and and if those aren't conservative values, and he can come up and say whatever he wants to come up with, I mean, for God's sake to live in, it is absolute lunacy. Well, I know it's going to be a long race. The primary is not until May of next year. And, of course, the election potentially with you versus Senator Joe Manchin wouldn't be until November of 2024. West Virginia Governor Jim Justice, a Republican, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. No, thank you, Dave. Thank you for all you do all the time. Thank you now. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Jason Chaffetz with your Fox News commentary coming up. New answers emerging from the mysterious and brutal murders known as the Gilgo Beach serial killings. A cold case revived and one man is behind bars. It was 2010 when human remains were found on Gilgo Beach, Long Island, New York. Law enforcement found the remains of Melissa Bartholomew and then Amber Lynn Costello, Megan Waterman, and Maureen Brainard Barnes, all of them women in their 20s who were working as escorts. Six other bodies were also found, but the investigation ran dry for years until now. Here's John Ray, the attorney for the victims. We breathe a great sigh of relief. Myself, after being on this case for 12 years and investigating this case relentlessly, and as well, the victims' families. And finally, something has been done. 59-year-old Rex Hewerman is in custody linked to three of those killings. Law enforcement matched his DNA from a leftover pizza crust that he tossed out to a hair found on a victim. He says he's innocent. Here's his lawyer. I will say to you folks that it's extremely circumstantial in nature. Uh, in terms of speaking to my client, the only thing I can tell you that he did say uh, as he was in tears was, I didn't do this. It took the work of more than 100 people working on this case to make this arrest. So we started January of 2022, and we formed a task force February 1st. This is Ray Tierney, the district attorney of Suffolk County. And then six weeks later, we identified this defendant as a suspect in this case for the first time. So prior to us, nobody knew about him at all. We learned about him six weeks after the formation of the task force, and from there, the information just flew, and the investigation flew, and as we learned more, the pace got quicker and quicker and quicker. And I think when people look at the steps that it took to get here, there's maybe this perception that it's not possible to get away with murder anymore because of the DNA capabilities that we have, the technology that we have. So in this case, what are some of the mistakes that you think this murderer made? Well, as you said, I don't think it's so much mistakes. It's just you leave a digital fingerprint or a forensic fingerprint in this world. So with regard to the four bodies, there were five hairs that were left on three of the victims. Uh, the phone evidence, he used burner phones, so you couldn't, you know, 
trace the phones from the from the instrument, uh, you know, through subscription or whatever. But when you make a phone call, your location is given away. So we had cell site location evidence. Uh, we had the uh, DNA evidence. And we had some, you know, uh, eyewitness evidence as well with regard to him visiting the last victim on the night before she died. Now, what about the other bodies? Is there potential evidence? Are there hints that there could be links there to these other murders? We investigated what is known as the Gilgo Four. And these were four women uh, who, you know, were prostitutes. They worked a similar way. They were all uh, petite. Uh, small women, they were bound, This so they were left in the same condition. Um, the killer used four separate uh, burner phones to contact them prior to their murders. So these murders were clearly related. Did the suspect seem surprised when he was arrested? Was there any indication of the emotion behind those moments and whether it seemed to you from his perspective that he knew he had been caught or was this a shock to him? He seemed to be very surprised, which we were satisfied with because we were afraid that if our investigation leaked out, he would eliminate evidence, you know, get rid of stuff. So we were happy with the fact that he appeared surprised. And so would you say that the the finding of the pizza box, was that one of those milestone moments that led to finally being able to make this arrest? Well, I think what happened was we looked at, on March 14th, we learned that he owned that avalanche. We also learned that he matched the very unique physical description of the person who was with the victim, Amber Costello. We then learned that he lived in this small area in Massapequa Park where the FBI was interested in with regard to phone loose. Furthermore, we learned that he worked in this area in Midtown Manhattan, which was an area of interest by the FBI regarding phone use. So now we're like, wow, this is good. So we have to continue to make these associations. So what we did then is we went back to the crime scene and there were five hairs that were suitable for mitochondrial DNA. But up to this point, we didn't have a profile to compare it to. So we had to go out and get his profile. And the way we did that is by following him and taking an abandonment sample. And specifically with regard to this case, these young women died between July of 2007 and September of 2010. They weren't found until December of 2010. So they're out uh, in the elements uh, in a very rugged uh, environment. So when you look forensically, there wasn't really anything other than hair fibers, and hair fibers are very hardy. The DNA is protected by the, the enamel on the outside of the hair. So the only thing we really had to look at was these, um, these hairs, but traditional DNA testing wouldn't, wouldn't be suitable, so we had to turn to mitochondrial DNA testing. And can you explain the difference there between regular testing, mitochondrial testing? Sure. Nuclear or conventional DNA testing, uh, you get a set of genes from your mom and your dad. With regard to mitochondrial DNA, you only get it from your mom, uh, and it's, uh, it's contained within the mitochondria of the cell. So it's not quite, the numbers aren't as quite as discriminating as 
uh, nuclear DNA, but because it's encased in this hair, it's much more hardy and will survive, you know, tough environments. Now, looking at someone who potentially could have could have conducted these types of atrocious murders. We know that this suspect was an architect. He's a father. Do you think that people involved in his life had any indication, or is this potentially a case of someone who was fully able to conceal what possibly was done here? Uh, there's certainly no indication that anyone knew what was going on, uh, certainly not his family members. I think this is an instance where this defendant lived a double life. Uh, and there was a side of himself that he showed to the public. And then there was this other side, which he desperately tried to keep hidden. And is that similar to what you see when you're conducting cases that even surround murderers or serial killers of separating these two very different sides of themselves? And, and how easy psychologically in your investigations do you see that someone is able to do that? Well, certainly uh, you see it in, in with serial killers, but even, you know, like with drug dealers or something, people who are engaged in illegal conduct have an ability to hide that from the rest of the world. And, and that's, you know, why they're able to do what they do. What were some of the hurdles in recent months that maybe prevented this from coming to light and prevented this arrest that we saw last week um, from happening sooner? Were there any difficulties that you found with regards to technology, those burner phones, finally collecting the DNA evidence? I think the most difficult thing for us, because we came in January of 2022, so we were 12 years behind. So there was an incredible amount of data that we had to look at and evaluate. And then as we went forward, a lot of the evidence that maybe we would have liked to have seen was not there. So those were challenges, but that's what cold case work is. So we worked on it and uh, you know we battled through it and we had great investigators working with prosecutors to really uh, get the subpoenas and search warrants out. So whatever information still existed, we were able to obtain. Wow, and for the families who for years have been hoping for some clarity about what took place and some answers and, and hopefully some closure for them, this must be a very painful time to have all of this brought to light again. Were any of the families or loved ones or, or witnesses very involved in helping give you some of the answers that you needed in this investigation? So these family members are just extraordinary. I actually reached out to them before I took office. So at that point, they're just names in a report, entries in a blotter, what have you. But then when you meet them and you see their pain and you see their frustration at not having answers, being able to give them those answers, it's extremely rewarding. And moving forward, where does it go from here? I think the media coverage, of course, is such an interest because of how brutal this was and how gut-wrenching this must be for all of the families. But where does this go in terms of, of moving this forward, finding the culprit of, of these other killings? Where do you see this case moving? So, you know, again, the, uh, the arrest is a watershed. Mm -hmm. So we have to change our approach. He is now charged with three murders, Melissa Bartholomew, Megan Waterman, and Amber Costello. That court case is going to continue, so we need to prepare for that. But 
also with this arrest, we've got a ton of evidence that we need to evaluate and also to investigate the other cases in the area. Now, looking at all of the work that went into uh, bringing this arrest and all of this taking place in the last week, it must be a tremendous moment of, of pride and relief for your team and also to be able to give that clarity to these families. Yeah, you know, once we identified him in March, it's been frenetic. You know, we've been really working hard. Uh, there's a lot of concern, a lot of worry is, uh, you know, public safety going to be compromised? Is our investigation going to become known? So there's constant worry. Um, we were going to take down the case later in the week originally. But once you start to obtain that evidence, now the balance starts to shift between investigation and arrest. And we decided, you know, Thursday, this is the time, so let's do it. So, so we did it. Um, and, you know, the opportunity to give a little bit of answers to the victims is very gratifying but these are just allegations this is just the beginning uh and so there is so much more work to be done well ray tierney district attorney of suffolk county thank you so much for your time for explaining everything about where we are in this stage and we will continue to follow this story thank you thanks for having me I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast, bringing you closer to the story than you ever thought possible. Subscribe at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. These are the stories that keep you up at night. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Jason Chaffetz, what's on your mind? Wednesday's hearing that is going to be hosted by the Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer is sure to be a blockbuster. The Oversight Committee is going to dive deeper into the Hunter Biden allegations, and it's based on what whistleblowers are saying. The IRS whistleblowers for the first time in a public setting where members will be able to ask questions from both sides of the aisle will surely be a blockbuster because not only will we hear supposedly details of how Hunter Biden and the uh, Hunter Biden family were able to move dollars overseas into the Biden pockets, but we're also going to hear from a mysterious yet unnamed person who is an IRS whistleblower. We have not yet heard this person testify before Congress yet. He is supposed to know the intimate details. What was done? How it was done? How did the money move? How did they do these transactions? Where were these transactions? How much money was involved in these transactions? I think they'll also maybe get into what David Weiss did or did not do as the U.S. attorney from the great state of Delaware. The U.S. attorney is appointed, was looking into this. Was he or was he not able to pursue full justice in what the IRS was pursuing. We'll see that on Wednesday. I'm Jason Chaffetz, former chairman of the Oversight Committee, Fox News contributor, and author of a new book, The Puppeteers, The People That Control America. 
You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Hey, everyone. It's Kennedy, and you can listen to my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It's going five days a week on the Fox News Podcast Network. We're bringing you all the fan favorites. Listen on Spotify, Apple, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download podcasts. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.